You can see in your bulletin that we're turning again this morning to 2 Corinthians 7. Lately we've been looking at this chapter, we've been focusing upon the reality of repentance that Paul's talking about here. Repentance, which is a matter of turning back to God when we've sinned. That's one of our habits as Christians. That's one of our rhythms. And so it's a good subject for us to take up during this ongoing sermon series on the habits of grace. Sure enough, turning back to God after we've sinned is one of the rhythms that shapes our lives in this life insofar as we still wrestle with sin. And so we've been learning lately about repentance from what Paul has to say about it here in 2 Corinthians 7. Happily, he's writing this at a time when he's gotten the very good news, and he feels tremendously relieved, he's gotten the very good news that the Corinthians themselves had in fact repented of their sin against him. So what have we learned over these past few weeks? Well, we learned a few weeks ago that it is godly grief over sin that leads to repentance in the first place. And then it's salvation, as Paul puts it, salvation without regret that results from it. So godly grief on the front end, salvation in various ways on the back end. And then last week, same passage, we also learned that it's zeal for God that characterizes genuine repentance. Sure enough, repentance, turning back to God, and zeal for Him, for His glory, go hand in hand after all. So that's where we've been over the past few weeks. This morning, we're going to stay one more Sunday here in 2 Corinthians 7. And we're going to focus on something that Paul says in verse 12 about why it is that he's taken all of the steps that he has in order to lead them to repentance. What his motivation was, what his aim was in dealing with them, dealing with the Corinthians in the way that he did. So listen again, uh, 2 Corinthians 7, beginning at verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. So that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. 
At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word, for here is light to be found in a dark world. And so we pray that you would illumine our own hearts and minds now, that we might behold the wonders that you have for us here, that, you might, that we might behold Christ here. And we pray this in his name, amen. I think it's fair to say that we human beings have always had a love-hate relationship with mirrors. We can be decidedly ambivalent when it comes to mirrors. We like to think about the person who invented the wheel. That must have been a moment of real triumph. Or the person who discovered fire. That must have been an exciting breakthrough. But... What do you think it was like to be the guy who made the first mirror? Polished that surface, and then he kept polishing it and polishing it, and then he stepped back, and he saw his own reflection like never before. And at first he said, how cool is that? I can see my own reflection. And then he kept looking, and then he said, oh dear, I can see my own reflection. What have I done? On the one hand, it's a handy thing to be able to see your own reflection. And there are even times when we're not wholly displeased by what we see. And not in a way that's vain. You really needed a haircut, and then you got one, and you're glad to be able to see that you got one and that it turned out reasonably well. Or you bought that dress and you had it altered, and sure enough, the mirror at home shows you the same thing that the mirror in the store showed you, which is that you wear it well. So yay for mirrors. On the other hand, there are times when we are not pleased by what we see in the mirror. Like the haircut that did not end well. Or the dress that was a really bad idea after all. At least you can return the dress. But there are times like those, times when we're not saying... Yay for mirrors. We have this ambivalence. We have this love-hate relationship with them. And the reason I say all of that to get us going this morning is that verse 12, here in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 12 is what we might call a mirror verse. It's a verse that has to do with Christians getting a good look at their very own Christian selves, and happily, in this case, It's a good, positive look. It's an encouraging view that the mirror gives. And you've got to pay some careful attention to verse 12 so that you don't miss what's going on. Verse 12 is one of those verses that's very easy to read carelessly in such a way that you don't notice what Paul actually says. As I've mentioned before, sometimes it's when you read a verse out loud that you hear yourself read a word or words that you weren't expecting to the point that you go back and read it again, perhaps 
more loudly to make sure that you heard yourself right. Look at verse 12. So here's Paul remembering a hard letter that he had to write to the Corinthians in an effort to bring them to their senses, in an effort to bring them to repentance. He's gotten the good news that it worked. They have repented. So here in verse 12, he's reflecting upon all of that. He says, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. He's saying, I wrote to you in order that your earnestness might be revealed to you. In other words, I wrote to you so that you'd know yourself. I wrote to you so that the outcome would be that you would behold your own earnestness in the mirror. He's saying, I took the steps with you that I did, even writing that hard letter, with the goal in mind that you would respond as you did in repentance, with the aim in mind that your own earnestness for the Lord and for me would be brought out of you so that you could see it. So here he's talking about earnestness. And we noticed this last week when we were talking about zeal, because those two are similar, they're related. If you're earnest about something, what does that mean? It means that you, you take it seriously as it deserves to be taken. You're committed to it genuinely. To be earnest doesn't mean that you're constantly in a serious mood. It certainly doesn't mean that you're of dour disposition. It's something that's perfectly compatible with deep joy and even lightheartedness when lightheartedness is called for. It just means that you take something seriously that should be. And you're committed to it sincerely. That's the idea. And Paul saying to the Corinthians... I dealt with you in the way that I did because I wanted you to see that you have that. That you have that earnestness for me, which means that you have it for Christ himself. He's saying, I wanted that truth about you to be revealed to you. And that's what might catch us off guard here. That's what might be unexpected here in verse 12. We might have expected something like, I wrote to you, So that your earnestness would be revealed to other Christian congregations. So that word would get out to other churches in other towns about you. Or perhaps so that your earnestness would be put on display before a watching world. A watching unbelieving world. And your earnestness would be part of your testimony. Your witness. Or even... So that your earnestness would be clear to me again, the Apostle Paul, because I needed that encouragement myself. And we're not ruling out any of those realities here. It would have been a good thing, and no doubt Paul wanted all of those things. For their earnestness to be an encouragement to other Christian churches, and to be part of their testimony to the world, and to be a boost to his own soul. All of that's true, but that's not what he says here. 
says, I wrote to you in order that your earnestness might be revealed to you. My motivation, my aim was for you to know yourselves. That's why I say this is a mirror verse. And by the way, it's so lovely and so tender. The pastoral way that he's dealing with these folks who had sinned against him badly, publicly. And yet, here, Paul is dealing with them in such a way as as to preserve them and to build them up. It's a lot like the way he had encouraged them to deal with sin in their own ranks as a church. It's a lot like the way he wanted them to deal with the sinner in their midst. He says to the Corinthians, okay, you've dealt with this man's sin, but don't come down on him in such a way that he gets the wrong impression about his own soul and loses heart. No, build him up now. Well, Paul is modeling that here in the way that he deals with them. Paul dealt with their own sin. In this case, sin that was directed at him. But he's determined not to come down on them in the same way. He's determined, put positively, to encourage them. To build them up and to do so by helping them to see what the grace of God has actually wrought in them that's been put on display. So that's why I say this is a mirror verse. And then notice this as well about the way he puts it. Again, verse 12. He says, I wrote to you in in order that your earnestness might be revealed to you. And then he says this. In the sight of God. In the sight of God. Now, obviously, the idea is not that God had to be made aware of what was in their hearts. God already knew perfectly, thoroughly. No, the idea is that this whole experience of the Corinthians getting to know themselves is something that would take place, we might say, before the face of God. God would be presiding over this whole reality in their lives and in their life as a church. God would be pleased with this. This would be so much more than just another earthly instance of self-knowledge and self-esteem. No, this would take place in the sight of God. Before the face of God, they would be seeing in themselves what God already saw. So that's what's going on here, as I say, perhaps surprisingly, in verse 12. Paul wanted the Corinthians to see in themselves something that he already knew was there. And brothers and sisters, that's something for us to grasp as Christians today. It's a good thing for us today to see in ourselves the love for God, the earnestness for God, that the grace of God has worked in us, including in those moments when we turn back to him in repentance after we've sinned against him. Now, as soon as I say that, it also needs to be said, it's true, our earnestness for God isn't all that it ought to be. We all know that. To the point that we can look in a mirror sometimes, a spiritual mirror, the mirror that is the word of God, and struggle to see it. Struggle to see that earnestness in us. 
We still wrestle with sin and with sluggish hearts. We can look in the mirror and just see so much of that. All of that sin and sluggishness. The zeal and earnestness can be hard to see. So that's all true. But it's also true. And this morning, this is what we're underlining because of verse 12. It's also true that there is a seed, a reality of earnestness for God in every Christian heart. Every Christian believer, deep down, takes God seriously and is committed to God sincerely. That's just part of what it means to be a Christian. Every Christian, deep down, has that in his heart. It's there, and it's a good thing. It's a valuable thing. It is an encouraging thing to have the eyes to see that it's there, especially when, like the Corinthians, We've been laid low in some way. We're disheartened by the reality of our sin for some reason. Perhaps because like the Corinthians, we've had to receive a good, wise, timely, stinging word of rebuke. So it's a valuable thing for us to see that that earnestness really is there. And that's true for a number of reasons. Here are three of them. Just mentioned three benefits that are to be gained from seeing what the grace of God has worked in us. Three of them. The first is this. Praise. It leads you to give praise to God. Why? Because God's the one who gets all the credit for granting you that earnestness for him in the first place. It's his grace and his power that are on display whenever you look in the mirror and see, yes, this is true of me now, in a way that it was not before. And not only that, not only is it God who's worked it in you and brought it out of you, but it's also God's own character that you're seeing reflected in the mirror. Think about it. God is... The true, ultimate, heavenly, earnest one. God, first and foremost, takes his own glory seriously. And he's committed to it, genuinely. Nobody's earnest for God the way that God is earnest for God. That's why I took us to Ezekiel 36 today. One of my favorite Old Testament passages. God says, yes, I'm going to step in and save my people. And then he says, here's why I'm going to do it. And he does so in a way that is perhaps a little shocking, a little jarring. Listen to it again, Ezekiel 36. Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. That's Ezekiel 36, and that's what God is like. That's the earnest commitment that God has to his own name and, and, and to the regard with which his name is held in the world. When you look in the mirror, 
and you see earnestness for God, what you're seeing is the very character of God being reproduced in you and brought out of you. That's why I say this should lead to praise. You're looking in the mirror and you're seeing God. Not because you're God, but because you're a child of God. And what you're seeing is your father's resemblance in you as his son or daughter. And that's a good thing. That's a glorious thing. For a lot of people, as they get older, they increasingly see their parents when they look in the mirror. And some people are happy about that and some people are not. In this case, as a Christian... Speaking spiritually, you can rejoice in it without reservation. And you can praise your heavenly Father whose image you bear. Whose image you see in yourself in the mirror. So you look in the mirror and you don't get puffed up with yourself. You don't say, oh, who's the fairest of them all? Believing that the answer is you. No, you drop to your knees and you boast in God's grace and power. God's glory and holiness. And you stand amazed that you're coming to be more and more like him. So that's why I say praise is one of the benefits, one of the sweet fruits that's born here. Here's a second related to it, and it is gratitude. You're led not just to praise God, but also to give thanks to him. Why? Because he's the one who did it. As I said before, he's the one who's worked this in you. You you don't take credit for this yourself. If you look in the mirror and your haircut isn't half bad, then you're grateful to the person who cut it. If you look in the mirror and the dress that you had altered fits perfectly, then you're grateful to the tailor who altered it. You have a sense of indebtedness to the one who made you look good. Well, God's the one who made you look earnest. Not in the sense of merely putting on appearances, but in the sense that he actually worked it in you and has made it visible for others to see. And you, you ought to be grateful to him for that. And we are. So praise and gratitude. And then here's one more. Earnestness. In other words, the very sight of some virtue that God has worked in you and brought out of you, that stirs you up to want it all the more. When it's a good haircut, you think, why did I wait so long? I should get my haircut more frequently. More of this. When it's a lovely dress, you think, this is now my tailor for life. Let's go shopping again so I can just have something altered again. When you see earnestness for God, you think, more. I want more of this. I want to love God more than I do now. He is worthy of more love than I feel for him now. Because you see in the mirror that it's possible. So no, you don't love God now entirely as you should. But just to get a glimpse of the fact that you love him at all. Stirs the appetite to want more. And God by his grace is pleased to give it. So three benefits that result from this, from this view of yourself as grace has made you to be. And they are praise and gratitude and then a hunger to grow in this earnestness yet more. Now, brothers and sisters, how can we take all of this and bring it to bear this morning? 
few thoughts about how these things touch down in our lives, a few thoughts about application today. First of all, this, this, this idea of seeing ourselves in this way, it, it shapes the way you ought to value the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, learn again to love the mirror that the Word of God is and ought to be in your life. Learn again to love the mirror that the Word of God is. Because it is as you read the Word and get to know God and the law and the gospel of God that you see yourself in this way. As I said when we got started, we, we do have this love-hate relationship with mirrors. We, we find them useful. We might be pleased by what we see, and then we find them uncomfortable because we're not pleased by what we see. The Word of God is the best kind of mirror. It's the best and truest and most accurate kind of mirror. It's a mirror that Christians can trust in and be grateful for. Why? Because on the one hand, it doesn't flatter us, and we wouldn't want it to. It doesn't make us look any better than we actually are, the way some mirrors do, by playing with angles or giving a slightly tarnished reflection or being placed in a room with dim lighting, none of that. And so, yes, we do see our sin when we look at ourselves in the mirror that is the Bible. And that's a good thing, because that's what enables us in a new way to address our sin. On the other hand, it also shows us the new creatures that God has made us to be. We look at ourselves in the mirror that is the Bible, and we can actually see the love for God that He's worked in our hearts, the earnestness for His glory that He's worked in our soul. And not only that, but think about it that's the truest thing about us now. Yes, we do still see our sins. But that doesn't have to be the dominant impression. Because the main thing that we can see staring back at us when we look in this mirror is the image of God being remade in us. Even that earnestness for God. And that's one of the things that I love so much about Paul's whole relationship to the Christians in Corinth. I mean, you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and you learn as you read these letters about other letters and visits along the way. This was one seriously troubled church. You read 1 Corinthians, and then you read between the lines as you're reading 2 Corinthians. This was a troubled, struggling congregation. And yes, in the hard things that Paul had to write to them, Paul held up the mirror of God's word. So that they could see their sin. But then it's as if he kept holding it. He didn't put the mirror down. Because it wasn't just their sin that he wanted them to see. He also wanted them to see that they'd been changed. That they weren't what they used to be. That there was now a real earnestness for God that was true of them. And he knew that that was the main thing. And that's why... At the end of chapter 7, right after this passage that we've been focusing on lately, Paul can actually say about these folks, I've been boasting about you. 
Imagine that. Imagine that it's the Corinthians of all people that Paul says that about. This troubled, struggling congregation, these Christians who had to be corrected by Paul, sometimes painfully, on so many points of faith and life, Paul says, I've been boasting about you. This is verse 16 down there in chapter 7. He says, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. That's verse 16. And the point is, Paul held up the mirror that is God's word long enough for them to be able to see that as well. Christian, the Bible is perfect, and it's perfect for you. Perfectly suited for you to get to know yourself. So don't ever be afraid to open it up and read it. And in that reading, behold who you truly are now. So there's that. A second word of application. This has to do with the way that we approach a fellow believer about their sin when it's called for. There are times when it is called for, when you've got to do that. Paul had to do that with the Corinthians. He had to write some hard things to them about their sin. And even though we're not apostles by any stretch, we can find ourselves in a similar situation. We've got to go to somebody about something that they've said or done or not said or not done. How do you approach that, that hard conversation? Well, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to this, no one approach that fits every circumstance, every relationship. It takes wisdom. But this is something that we can say, if the moment's right, if the circumstance fits, if it's called for, we can say something like this. The fact that I'm coming to you about your sin like this, I know this stings. But I'm not saying this to you to tear you down. I'm not saying this because I've given up on you. To the contrary, I'm saying this to you because I know you're better than this. Maybe you've had to say something like that to somebody. I know that this sin on your part that I've had to broach here, this isn't who you really are. You're better than this. I can see that about you. And and one of the reasons I'm coming to you is that I want you to see it about you too. I want... Your own love for God that I've seen, that I know is in there, to be brought out now in repentance so that you can see it too. Bear that in mind in your own relationship. Store this away because it might be a word of wisdom that we need someday. Sometimes that's the best thing that you can say. And 2 Corinthians 7 in the way that Paul related to these Christians, reminds us that that can be a very good thing to say. And then this as well, a final word of application. This is for all of us, I suppose, but it's something that I want to say especially to the younger members of our church. And I know as soon as I say that, 
We all think, oh, he's talking to me. <laughs> I'm young. I'm young at heart. So let's, let's kind of define it. We'll say roughly middle school to high school into college, give or take. Kids, as you've gotten older, you've become more aware of what you see in the mirror. And at your age, middle school, high school, beyond, you're getting to the point that you're beginning to experience what I was describing earlier, which is that there are times when you look in the mirror and you're okay with what you see, and then there are other times when you look in the mirror and you're thinking, who put this mirror here, have this removed? And not only that, but you're getting to the point that you're becoming more aware of the fact that the mirror reveals what other people see when they look at you. And perhaps you begin to wonder, what do they think when they see what I can see in the mirror now? At your age, the idea of being earnest about anything is a tricky business. Remember what it means. If you're earnest about something, it means that you take it seriously in the way that you should, that you're committed to it. A lot of kids your age aren't sure that they want to see earnestness when they look in the mirror. They're not sure that they want other people to see that in them because it can be a whole lot cooler to come across as not caring too deeply about anything. It can be cool to come across as if you're above being passionate about anything so that you can make a joke about everything. And it can be seen as uncool then to be earnest about anything, and in particular to be earnest about Jesus Christ. Perhaps even among some of your Christian friends. So what I want to say to you this morning is don't be ashamed to look into the mirror that is God's word and to see That he's worked a real desire for his glory in your heart. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't shy away from that view of yourself. And again, just to be clear, remember what I was saying about earnestness before. It doesn't mean that you're always serious. It doesn't mean that you're just gloomy. It means that you understand that there are some things in life that are weighty. And that they're the things that matter most. And that you're committed to handling them that way. Don't be ashamed to look into the mirror of God's word and to see that he's worked that desire for his glory in your heart. That's a great thing to see. I know mirrors can be awkward, but this one's the best. And it's a lovely thing, especially as you get older, to look into this mirror And to stand amazed that you really have been changed. In that there is that desire for God now that's on display. Let that be a lesson for all of us. Whether young or not. In this company, in this fellowship, let it be said of us. That it's not just okay to care about God. It's fantastic. It's who we are and it's who we want to be. Whatever the world says. 
Whatever our neighbors say, whatever our colleagues say, whatever our extended family members say, thank God that he's made us to be a people like that. May he grant us the vision to see it, to even see ourselves in this light. May it be so. And let's pray together. Father, we ask this of you time and time again. Whenever we come to your word, we say, as it says in Psalm 119, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your word. And this morning we pray a prayer like that. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in ourselves, including this. You have made us new. So that there is now within us, as Christian believers, an earnestness for your glory and for your people. Thank you that you have worked that in us. Thank you that we can look in the mirror and see it. Grant us eyes to see it, that we might praise you and be grateful to you. And hunger for it still more. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.